Hello, and welcome to another T-Rex Talk. This is Isaac Botkin, and this is a kind of a strange episode. Most of our episodes, uh, the last 30-some episodes, have all been live-streamed uh, on YouTube. They're all conversations with people uh, at T-Rex, or sometimes uh, one person talking to himself, like I am today. But this episode was not live-streamed on YouTube. And the reason for that is uh, complicated. Basically, I should state for the record that today is the uh, 20th of January. It is Inauguration Day. It is the day that Joe Biden was inaugurated as president of the United States, the 46th president. Um, I'm still not sure exactly what to call him. I would like to respect the office of the president, but the temptation to call him Uncle Joe is pretty strong. And on this day, there were a bunch of random changes to various social media platforms and rules. So things like uh, Facebook did not allow the advertisement of any weapon accessories. And they're going to keep that rule in place until at least a couple of days from now. Because the idea that somebody seeing an ad for a weapon light or a holster or any other thing that might go onto a weapon like, oh, I don't know, possibly a sling would drive some insane levels of domestic terrorism and violence. And so there's a bunch of crazy one-off rules uh, for today and uh, tomorrow, and then hopefully not too many days after that. So based on congestion on the YouTube system and crazy social media rules being applied in an opaque and arbitrary manner, uh, we did not do the live stream. We will hopefully be back doing uh, our regular uploads and our regular live streams on YouTube. As long as they will let us use their platform, uh, we are going to continue to put our messages there. But there are a few messages that um, are becoming more and more important at the same time that they're becoming more and more unacceptable to certain platforms. So a bunch of stuff has happened just in the last few weeks. As soon as... Donald Trump was uh, excommunicated from Twitter. He moved to Parler, and Parler was unceremoniously shut down by as many big tech companies as possible, and a whole bunch of little big tech companies uh, that don't actually have any authority or power whatsoever were still claiming that they had been instrumental in bringing down Parler. And as soon as uh, one or two of them had um, had started to take the platform down, all the rest of them ran in to virtue signal and uh, put the boot in. And a bunch of other things happened uh, on December 6th. I know that in uh, the January 6th uh, YouTube conversation, I said that nothing was happening because that was the official party line. But then later, the official party line changed. Uh, it was no longer that nothing had happened. It was that one of the most terrifying and destructive acts in all of American history had happened. There was an attack, an assault, an attempted coup on the Capitol itself, the very holy of holies of uh, American political system. And uh, I do want to condemn rioting, because rioting is something, uh, it is not a way to actually bring about constructive political change. It is a great way to bring about destructive political change. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I'm opposed to it. But um, that being said, the, the tiny, tiny bit of rioting that happened inside of the U.S. Capitol building and the crowd of approximately a million people standing peacefully outside of the U.S. Capitol building have been ridiculously and inconsistently conflated in the media and also in the, the actual reports 
um, and claims of the legislators who were present during the time of the Capitol riots. And so as a result of that, the Capitol was utterly and completely shut down. Uh, In order to prevent a military coup from happening, uh, the DNC brought in 26,000 National Guardsmen to surround all the buildings and keep all of the people out. So military coup averted. In the same way that uh, they had to kick Trump and a whole bunch of Trump supporters off of a bunch of social media platforms and shut down a whole bunch of private businesses so that the First Amendment would not be violated. There's so much talk about Donald Trump being this incredibly powerful, tyrannical, authoritarian leader that was going to violate the First Amendment, that was going to bring about a military coup, that was going to build all these walls. In order for all of this to be circumvented, we had to do... Well, basically all of that exact same stuff. And so today, uh, as National Guardsmen and Walls completely surrounded all of the public buildings that we of the people own, that our representatives sit in and uh, theoretically do our bidding, um, we watched the inauguration. If I wanted to be kind of mean, I would make a joke about how the 26,000 National Guards is the first big crowd that Joe has spoken to in many, many, many months. But there was just uh, a lot of of hypocrisy and overreaction everywhere. The same journalists who have been demanding uh, the defunding of police for months and months and months, the same journalists that have been applauding the riots and destruction of buildings and the burning of buildings in cities all over America for months and months and months, now they want a large federal agency of domestic anti-terror cops, and they want to shun uh, the little bit... Uh, of of rioting that happened inside of the Capitol building. This hypocrisy and overreaction is, I think, a really important thing uh, to focus on, particularly the overreaction. The hypocrisy is obvious, but I think that the overreaction uh, is a carefully calculated play. The idea with the overreaction is, uh, for some of the legislators, I think that they felt a very real fear, and I would love to know which of them were afraid of the 100 or 200 people that came into the Capitol building. And how many of them were afraid of the million or two million people that were standing peacefully outside? Uh, Well, we may never know that. But there is a very carefully calculated aspect to this overreaction to that event. People who want to make sure that they're not letting this crisis go to waste. People are reacting to the Capitol riots in the same way that they reacted to the September 11th attacks in 2001. And the idea is that we, the people who are watching see the speeches and see the military rollout and see the guards with their unloaded rifles and all of the walls. And we see that the Capitol riots must represent as big a threat as the September 11th attacks because the reaction is the same. Uh, And in the same way, I feel like there was a significant overreaction by many people to the 9-11 attacks to communicate that they represent a threat that was as big as the attack on Pearl Harbor. And even the Pearl Harbor attack was overreacted to in some ways, not in others, so that people would understand that the Pearl Harbor attack represented as big a threat to America as Britain invading uh, in the 1700s. That's kind of how we get to where we are today, which is Biden announcing in his inauguration while surrounded by thousands and thousands of soldiers and very, very few citizens inside a democratic institution that is completely locked down. And he announces that one of his big goals is fighting domestic terrorism, not because many cities were racked by riots over the last year, but because a few hundred people came into the Capitol building and did some things that they should not have done. 
That kind of overreaction is incredibly important. People have been overreacting to Donald Trump being president for four years. They've been overreacting to the threat of coronavirus for about the last year, and they've been overreacting to the Capitol riots for the last few days. And even Joe Biden's 17 executive orders that he signed today, they're also an overreaction. He is trying to destroy everything that Trump has done to overreact to this incredibly overblown threat that Donald Trump is supposed to be. Not just defeat him, but destroy everything that he has done and denigrate him as the greatest threat that Western civilization has ever seen. So even some of the things that I don't like of Trump's legacy, some of his most statist moves and actions that built the power of the government that Biden is controlling, no, those all have to be purged from the record. So the vast majority of the 17 executive orders that he signed are particularly reversing or overthrowing or doing the exact opposite of things that Donald Trump was trying to do, regardless of what they were. So this narrative of Donald Trump as a democracy-destroying tyrant who did too much with the authority that he had is something that we underscore with this crazy, crazy overreaction. Banning him from Twitter. Banning his name from PGA golf tournaments. He's even banned from Olive Garden and Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, it's just kind of hilarious to me that the former leader of the free world, who owns many gigantic resorts of his very own, has been banned from visiting the Mechanical Rat and Child Casino that is Chuck E. Cheese. But this is the kind of virtue signaling that everybody is doing. This is the kind of overreaction that has to be done to underscore and emphasize this narrative that Donald Trump is a heretic against the ideals of the current administration and the group think of the media, something that must be purged, something that must be erased. Which then brings us to the question of what about his supporters, those 75 million-ish people who voted for him? Well, those people are also heretics. Those people are also anathema. Those people are also a threat. Are they all domestic terrorists or just some? Let's be on the safe side. Are they all white supremacists? There was a recent article in the Washington Post, and the author couldn't help but notice that a bunch of the white supremacists who were supporting Donald Trump uh, by gathering in Washington, D.C., weren't actually white. And so she invented a new term, multiracial whiteness. This is a new threat to democracy and identity politics. But what multiracial whiteness actually is, is just a term that allows her to redefine non-white people as white people because her party has made everything about race. It is a term that allows her to reject actual reality and replace it with pure imagination. This is not only hypocritical, but again, very overreactionary. There are already, of course, people discussing what to do about Republicans who have voted for Donald Trump. Do they have to go to re-education camps or can it merely be sensitivity training? And remember, they're not gulags. They are Democratic gulags, which is better. Now, when we, when we see the left making these kind of crazy overreactionary statements like the need to re-educate and reprogram anybody who has voted for a different candidate, it is so easy for us to see the left making mountains out of molehills and decide that we want to mix our metaphors and fight fire with fire, and we want to make mountains out of molehills too. We want to exaggerate and take everything to the extreme exactly the same way that they are. But that is not what we need to do. We cannot overreact. We cannot throw hissy fits. Uh, there isn't even room for us to exaggerate, and uh, there's no room for hot-headed buffoonery at this point. It is time for us to get serious 
about principle. And I want to talk about the potential that everybody is discussing, and that is the conflict that isn't coming, the conflict that is already here. Where does that go, and what does that look like? And I want to read a quote from John Adams. He says, What do we mean by the American Revolution? Do we mean the American War? The Revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people, a change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. While the king and all in authority under him were believed to govern in justice and mercy according to the laws and constitution derived from the God of nature and transmitted by their ancestors, they thought themselves bound to pray for the king and the queen and all the royal family and all in authority under them as ministers ordained of God for their good. But when they saw those powers renouncing all the principles of authority and bent upon the destruction of all the securities of their lives, liberties, and properties, they thought it their duty to pray for the Continental Congress and all 13 state congresses. And then skipping down a little bit, he says, This produced in 1760 and 1761 an awakening and revival of American principles and feelings, with an enthusiasm which went on increasing until 1775. So this is something that I and many of us often overlook. When we talk about the American Revolution, we look straight to the founders. We look, we look straight to 1776 and the Declaration of Independence. We do not think of all of the work that was done before to establish principles, to establish character, to establish the disciplines that were necessary to actually fight for liberty in a way that was appropriate and in a way that was successful. And I also am really hoping and praying that we are able to accomplish this in the United States again without violence and bloodshed. This is not something that happened in 1776. We actually did have to fight a war with force, with firearms, against an invading army. But there are times, not very many, there are times in history when the people are able to do this kind of reformation and revolution in the hearts and the minds of enough of the people to where they are able to resist tyranny without bloodshed. But it did happen to some extent in Britain during the Glorious Revolution when James II wanted to be an incredibly tyrannical ruler and his people simply refused. He gathered his army to fight them, and his army was so small and his opposition so large that he left without there being any conflict. A similar thing happened when John signed the Magna Carta. He was ready to go to war with his people, but they were prepared to fight back, and they didn't have to. These are the things that I'm really hoping and praying for this year, that as, as we look at people in government who are no longer governing, governing in justice and mercy, they're no longer governing according to the laws and constitutions that have been given them by the God of nature and their ancestors. And we see people who actually are renouncing these principles of authority. Our response is going to be very important. The desire for overreaction is strong. But it's very important that we focus on principle. And in the same way that the colonists in America were going to their continental congresses and the state congresses and asking them to interpose themselves before the king and demand that the king do what was right and protect them from tyrannical overreach of the king, 
We have a tremendous opportunity to ask our local lawmakers to do the same. There will be tremendous opportunities to address things that we haven't addressed for decades in this country because of how far out of step things have actually gotten. The overreaction from the left is something that as long as we don't let us let it throw us, as long as we don't actually let it force us into overreacting on our own, it's a tremendous opportunity for us to try to correct the wrong courses that we've been on as a nation, as states, as communities, as a political party, or as individuals. So despite all of the difficulties that I foresee for the next few years, uh, even the difficulty of just continuing to do a podcast, the opportunities that we have to stand up and be good examples for the people around us, to be an encouragement to the people around us, and to actually demonstrate the principles that we can learn from Scripture, that we can learn from history, and to be leaders in this very small way, and to do the things that those men were doing in the colonies before the revolution, long before fighting broke out, long before the founders had the opportunity to write the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. I feel like that's where we are now, and that is the responsibility that we have, to step up and to do that in the year 2021. I'm fascinated to see what happens, and I'm really excited that all of you who are listening to the podcast and are part of the larger T-Rex family are here with us. Thanks so much for listening.